Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to Culture Vulture. Kia ora, everybody. Kia ora. Now, me and Liv are going into, what is it, like week eight or seven or nine? Week nine. <laughs> week nine. Well, okay, no. End, end, end of week eight. I think we're into week nine tomorrow. Holy shit. So we've just, honestly, we've just jumped on the mic after having a big conversation about how we'd, we'd just gone into a proper studio and like felt how good it was to be able to record in a professional environment and then now we're back to like our beds or our closets or the floor honestly you should see us we're literally lying on our sides on top of my bed like it's quite echoey so really sorry about that but there's, there's just, fucking road work now so. yeah there's just not a lot we can do um lockdown but, is just starting to take take its toll on the podcasting it is it is but you know we're gonna push through because it is so much fun coming on mic and chatting with you guys love the content um also one way that you can help us to get back into a studio is to go get vaccinated please 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 please. for for yourself for your families for your friends get vaccinated honestly the sooner we're vaccinated the sooner we can get outside again i feel like If you're in New Zealand and you're not in Auckland, it would be so easy to forget about us, but we are struggling, so please help us out. Aw. There's our wee plea for the start of the podcast. (laughs) Um, Also, just before we get into the topic of the day, I do want to give a wee content warning for this episode. We're talking about how ethical it is to sort of release um, artists' music after they've died, and we will be talking about death and suicide in this episode, so if that's not something you want to listen to very fair. You can go and listen to one of our other episodes, but just wanted to put that in there. Liv, do you want to give a bit of a rundown about what we're talking about today? Yes, absolutely. So today we are talking about posthumous music. So for those of you who don't know what posthumous music was, I actually didn't know the proper term for it, but as Lucy just said, it's music that has an artist's name attached to it when it's released and the artist has passed away. We've been wanting to call it posthumous because that's <laughs> yeah. how the word is read. And we had to, again, practice before we got on mic and make sure that we weren't fucking it up. Because apparently last week, I tried to say the word awry. And when I read awry, it looks to me like awry. <laughs> so I feel like I don't even remember saying it because it's not an easy word to say. But and I didn't even pick up on it. I probably was just like, well, what the fuck? What is she talking about? Like, a real on. smart word. I just don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah literally. So again, give us a little bit of grace. We're in an almost ninth week of lockdown and we're getting shit wrong. Absolutely. But do tell us because oh. we're always here for a bit of, bit of improvement. A yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, back to posthumous music. Um, It's especially common within rap as the genre has had a lot of talent taken far too soon. Think in recent years, Juice World, Lil Peep, and XXX, Tentacion, and Pop Smoke, to name 
sadly a few. a few. I know. Um, but it occurs in any genre of music. The whole issue sort of resides around who should make or finish the music or whether any music should be released at all after an artist has died. And who gets to make these decisions? Because they are decisions that involve a lot of emotion, a lot of money, and a lot of responsibility regarding the legacy of the artist at hand. So just like the interpolation debate that Luce and I had about a month ago about Olivia Rodrigo's music, um, it's a long-time highly debated issue within the music industry. Yeah, and... You can kind of see why it gets done, like, for the Mm -hmm. fans. But the fans are also often the ones that are like, this isn't what they would have wanted. Absolutely. It's really hard to find positives. Me and Liv are going to go through just so many examples and basically talk about each example. And some of them were taken well, some of them weren't. And kind of see where we sit on each one. But, like, overall, it's a... I I don't really agree with it. Like, I don't agree... Unless they've stated that they want it. This is the thing. And I guess there is quite a lot of nuance around the idea in certain cases. But, like, a lot of the cases are just exploited. But we'll get into it. So there are two types of posthumous albums. There's intended posthumous albums where the artist knew they were about to die. So, for example, an album called Made in Heaven was made by... Yeah, by Freddie Queen, Mercury. Freddie Mercury, when he knew he was really sick. Um, and so he obviously wanted that released after he after he died. But there's also unintended posthumous albums, which we're going to be talking about today, which is where the artist dies suddenly and has left behind unreleased work. I actually couldn't find many other examples of intended posthumous albums. No, there's not many. I think David Bowie might have had one. Yeah, I was because I was sort of looking and I was like, how often is it that you contemplate your fate, that you know that it's happening? I know, I know. And I guess with people like Freddie, like that's a blessing that he knew and could make do what he was fucking best at. Absolutely. Yeah, but I couldn't. I couldn't find. No, there's not that many examples. There's just a whole lot of. People who have, sadly, a lot of drug overdoses, mm. um, a lot of unintentional deaths, mm. and yeah, fuck, it's, it's, an, it's a sticky debate. Uh, yeah, and it's an, intense, it's an intense conversation as well. Do you want to read out um, Anderson Park's tattoo? Yes. Okay, so this is really interesting because this is sort of what alive musicians um, are starting to do to sort of protect themselves and their music so Anderson Park actually got a tattoo on his forearm like pretty big it's pretty explicit that literally says when I'm gone please don't release any posthumous albums or songs with my name attached those were just demos and were never intended to be heard by the public that's so wild when you sent that to me I was just like this is like, it's crazy that they have to do that or put it in their will so young, if they even have a will, it's that so, they don't want yeah. anyone exploiting their name. Lana Del Rey shared that to her Instagram story. Like, And what'd she say? She was like, it's in my will, but it's also on his tattoo. So yes. she's also put it in her will. That- well, it's so crazy that this is something that they have to think about so young because... Like, don't let someone go through my voice memos and, like, release my shit. right? Like, troll through my computer, see all of my... Like, imagine it's like someone going through your diary. No, and then releasing it to the world because they think that's what... Well, either they want money or they think it's what the fan wants. Absolutely. So I think one of the reasons that we did this podcast, there's been rumours about Mac Miller's label releasing a second posthumous album Mm. from Mac, who sadly died in 2018. Mm. Um, 
one's really close to my heart. Fucking love Mac. I know he's got a really, really, really strong fan base. Um, so this one was actually really interesting. We're going to talk about Circles, which was his first posthumous album that most of you have probably heard of. So his passing was only a month after he released his critically acclaimed album Swimming. Mm. Do you remember that album, mm-hmm. Liz? Mm-hmm. So when that came out, that was like really, really well received. Everyone was like, oh my God, he's grown so much as an artist. This is amazing. And yet literally a month after it came out, we got the news that he had passed away, which was so, so devastating to his really, really like amazingly strong fan base. Um, And it turned out that he had been working on an album that was sort of meant to be its counterpart Mm. um, circle. So the whole you know, concept was swimming in circles. Mm -hmm. And so in this instance, Mac's family actually rung John Bryan, who produced swimming alongside Mac and also was working on circles with him and asked him specifically to finish the second album that they'd been working on. So this time it wasn't through the label. Mm. So yeah, it, it was really interesting because this was a very intimate sort of, you know, Mac would have wanted this. Yes. 80% of the album was already done. This is so similar to Avicii, who we'll go into next. 80% of his yeah. posthumous album was done. So but, interesting. So they've got that blueprint there, right? Yeah. They know they know majority of what they would have wanted for it sonically and hopefully marketing-wise. But, yeah, so there had been, like, 50 songs that um, could fill up the rest of the 20% of the album. I don't know how they get those songs. I'm guessing they go into his computer. Or do they mean by 80% done is like they had all the tracks like 80% mastered? Yeah, so they had they had 80% of the album done and then I think there was like 20% where they weren't sure like what songs to fill in the holes oh, sort of okay. thing. So it wasn't so, that they were half done songs? No, yeah, they were like, um, there was Gaps. like 50 songs. He was a really, really prolific Whoa. artist. Um, and Brian, the producer, he quoted, I'd find myself in tears working and going, okay, just power through. And then he said that he'd know if something was tonally right if he felt like he was standing in the room, if he felt like Mac was standing in the room. See, I think it's really hard on the producers oh my God, and stuff yeah. to have to do this as well. I, again, read about the friends and producers that worked on Avicii's posthumous album and they were like, it was the most difficult thing they've ever had to do i can't even like going imagine. in there straight after and and having to start working on it and especially if someone was in quite a bad mental state and mm. like seeing the music that was so i don't know mac always talked about like his death and yeah. you know all of that and you just dark wonder stuff. if the pros outweigh the cons or not even the cons like if it's necessary i often feel like these albums are released so quickly after the death of the artists and whether it's intentional or not that's to go from like the press around the artist oh dying. Oh my god! And it, like, yeah, bl- in a blatant sense, I know it's marketing. It's, it's I know. like a marketing strategy. Like it's it's really like no matter how up. good your intentions are, the whole concept of this that their names in the press right now and 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 it like makes sense for you to release this album now is just so not it's, absolutely. I know, like this, I think with circles i am sort of like i think this was good Mm. but 
the the reaction to circles was sort of overwhelmingly positive from his fan base mm. and like if you go on to you know a lot of the music videos and stuff people are like thank you so much for the way that you've handled this mm. album like this is amazing it feels so close to what mac would have produced anyway but the thing is we will never actually know what mac mm. would have wanted do you know who made the money from this well album? i'm guessing his estate um the producer and the label i'm sure yeah so this is the thing like we can't be naive in thinking that this is just a really nice thing i really want to give this situation the benefit of the doubt and be like their intentions were to sort of memorialize mac and Mm. put out all of this really amazing work that he had definitely intended to be heard Mm -hmm. but in saying that yeah, it's pretty naive to just think that you you need to understand like the capitalization that comes from releasing these albums. Yeah, like I think just at its core, it's quite it's it's like so nice as a tribute, especially if it's what they would have wanted. Mm-hmm. It's exploitative by nature, mm-hmm. but it what outweighs what. And there's also a conversation about like the parasocial relationships, like what celebrities actually owe their fans, yes. even in yes. death. I honestly have been thinking about this a lot because they don't owe their fans shit from their yeah like afterlife yeah like this is crazy they've been working their whole lives for their fans and i feel like labels will just say oh the fans deserve the fans deserve to listen to whatever music that they were working on the time no they don't owe them anything no like and nor does the family no exactly so it is yeah, I think it's that's ethically, it's up. just so such a dilemma. But but oh, absolutely, yeah, I don't know. So with Avicii, yeah. I mean, everyone knows really tragically Avicii um, or Tim Bergling, which is his real name, mm-hmm. was a 28 year old producer. Um, we all know his songs, "Wake Me Up," "Levels." Like he kind of changed the game a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, he died by suicide in 2018. He was working on an album with lots of notes and email conversations and, like, voice notes that he was making at the same time as the album. And he worked with lots of collaborators because he was a producer, not, like, an artist. Mm -hmm. So, basically, his family reached out to all his friends and collaborators and, which would have been fucking hard for them because they were, like, all his friends, Mm. saying that there was no question about like his dad actually said there was no question about whether they were going to release this or not it was 80 percent done um they knew he wanted it out yeah and all the proceeds from the album went to a um, foundation that they started called the tim bergling foundation which is a non-profit dedicated to helping treat mental illness and prevent suicide Mm, yeah so like this was one of the examples like one of the few examples again like max kind Mm -hmm. of where one, it was received really well. Two, mm-hmm. it was made by the people that were already making it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like it was a skeleton of an album. This is the thing it because was, there's such a difference between having a blueprint for something and then sort of like wrangling together mm. like bits and pieces to make this compilation that doesn't make sense. And and there's the extra factor, which is like hard to talk about, but it is that... Avicii took his own life. I wonder whether he left. Do you know? Like, whether he left instructions? I don't think he left instructions, but I think his father said that he very much wanted this like he'd album released. Yeah. Yeah, but the, the interesting thing about this, again, is that the producers who are his friends that finished the albums 
were tasked with like looking through his phones and things for the notes and the email conversation. So it's just like ethical dilemma again. And so hard on the people having to look through. Yes. That would just be pretty fucking soul destroying. Not soul destroying, but like just so hard, so emotionally hard. Yeah. I just, I know it would be, and and it's always so soon after their death. So it's sort of like, yeah, they jump on it. Yeah. I think with circles, it was about six months or so. Mm. But, Which is still fucking raw. I know, and then now that they're saying they want to, pre- that this was actually part of a trilogy, and yeah. that there's a third one, and then they're asking fans to like put in their thoughts to like help with the collaboration of it, like contribute. Which so murky. It's so murky. Like I just don't know how to feel. I or feel like with that these feels- two, like these two situations are the are the most. Like, you can find the most positives in yeah, them. Absolutely. And I think that what is really interesting is that two really famous posthumous albums from Tupac and the Notorious B.I.G., um, which is the Don Caluminati, the Seven Day Theory, and Life After Death, both these albums were actually already finished before mm, okay. the rappers died. But again, it was only like a few days after their deaths that they were released. So it is like capitalizing on the moment. But the thing is with these two albums is that people say that they cemented their place in music history. And Mm. so I think what labels do is now use these two albums as examples to kind of be like, yeah, well, you know, your legacy can be formed after your death. Absolutely. Like Biggie Small would have never been as big of a like moment if we wouldn't have influenced all these other artists. Absolutely. And, but the difference is these albums were fully formed. They were finished. I don't know. It just is. It's, well, it's really hard. It's like when you give out like, posthumous Grammys or awards for, like, work that never got recognised while people were alive. Or, like, Otis Redding's Dock of the Bay. Yeah. This album won... It won two posthumous Grammys and became his biggest hit. But it was released after he died. So it's, like... Three days after he died in that plane accident. So it's, like, cementing your legacy is one... It's just so fucked because these music companies will have, like, a... A blueprint for what they do when this happens like they've got something in place to be like okay he's passed away we do this this and this to capitalize off of this moment like i'm and sure it's they have greatest that. hits like it's yeah. no, it's not often like let's go through their archives, like, archives but in, in cases where obviously it was nearly done or they've been a big enough celebrity yeah they do they go and 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 like i understand especially with biggie and tupac like that it's been so formative for so many people to have this in the world. Probably mm-hmm. been a net good to have this in the world. But it's like, it doesn't really change the fact of how it got into the world. Exactly. By someone leaving the world. Like, exactly. And, like, that was Tupac's first posthumous album. But, like, there's been, like, five or something afterwards where people have just been, like, digging into his archives. Yeah. Everyone has fucking archives. Like, imagine if, like, a writer passed away and people were just, like, looking through their notes. I'm sure they do that. I'm sure they do that too, but it's just like, no, these things are drafts. Yeah. Like, they're not there. The interesting thing is that when you release something that's not finished, there is a risk of, like, tainting their memory a bit. Because if they didn't want it conveyed in a certain way or the music video looking a certain way, then... 
that's the idea people have in their heads now. Exactly. And most artists are total perfectionists, yeah. right? Like they would be hands-on with every single tiny decision made. And the fact that, I don't know, I just can't imagine that a lot of them would like that. No. I agree. Should we get into some of the situations where it's just not Totally. All good? I think a really, really clear one is Amy Winehouse. Again, so, so close to my heart. I am like the biggest Amy fan ever. I fucking feel so awful for what happened to her. Now, Luce, do you know much about what happened to Amy Winehouse? No. I only know her dad was an asshole. Yeah, so... Basically, I would really recommend watching the Amy documentary for anyone who doesn't know. It came out in 2015 and it really pulls back the cover on her extortionate fame and the way she was basically used as a puppet around her. She Mm. was exploited time and time again by her father, Mitch Winehouse, and she had this really awful boyfriend called Blake who got her into heroin and crack and she just really seemed like someone that was totally lost. She she literally said that she didn't want to perform anymore. Mm. And people were, like, making her go on stage. Her last ever performance is I've seen it. so hard to watch. It's awful. She's, like, off her face. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. She's yeah. obviously really abusing alcohol and drugs. She can barely stand, let alone sing. And her father was, like, making her do these performances. She had, like, real daddy issues. Like, she just wanted like there's performances where she's on stage being like I think my dad's here tonight oh no he's not no he's not it's it's awful yeah but basically what has happened with Amy is that her dad is still trying to squeeze every ounce of money out of her (sighs) possible now there's a guy called David Joseph who worked for Universal which was the label that Amy was signed to and he destroyed all her demos to stop people from fucking with them or releasing them. Um which I think is amazing. Oh my god, like fucking what's his name? David. David. Go fucking David. Yeah. Like he probably got in a lot of trouble for that. Fuck yeah, it's hilarious because there's this BBC interview um, where Mitch Winehouse literally calls David Joseph an idiot um telling them now that they've found bits and pieces but it's difficult because the cds are a bit corrupted but apparently we've been told we might be able to rescue something it's not as good as back to black from what i've heard from the snippets that we might be able to rescue it's still good like if you're saying this shit like that is him blatantly trawling through her archives I've read a few pieces about when this gets done, it's called cobbling. When there's not finished songs, mm -hmm. when Lisa from TLC died, they released um, TLC, apparently, or the record label, released Mm -hmm. a song called 3D, which, like, spliced and cobbled together, like, different verses and different sections that Lisa had been singing to make it sound like she'd originally recorded it that way but she hadn't and that sounds like what exactly this fucking Mitch wants to do this shit is right it's like they're taking their scrounging and they're being like oh we could put together this this and this this is for people like Amy Winehouse and for people like TLC who have produced such immaculate music like and took so much pride so in do you what they really had. Think? It's so fucked no, up. And what is even more fucked up is that in 2018, so this is so recent, Amy Winehouse died in 2011. So seven years on, Mitch is making plans for a holographic tour of Amy, which was meant to happen in 2019, but obviously because of COVID, it didn't. Um, I feel like this is a real example of a family abusing the fame of their oh. late relative. And... Honestly, it's horrific 
it's tacky. It's like, so tacky. So, it's- yeah, they wanted this huge hologram of Amy Winehouse that they'd, like, recreate her singing. And, like, what? You're going to recreate? Are you going to go through and watch the videos where you were torturing her to go on stage and recreate that, Mitch? I don't think so. Yeah, absolutely. So this holographic touring yeah. um, isn't... It's not new. No, it's not necessarily new. Um, they've done one with Tupac. They've done one with Whitney Houston um, and a few other artists. And to be honest, to me, it just feels so, so, so icky. So I don't know. If you were ever wanting to go to a holographic tour, I would just take a think moment about to it. think about it and to think about the ethics behind it. Like if the artist is still alive and because of COVID or whatever, they can't tour and they're involved in the creation of it. Like tickets should definitely be discounted because you're not actually seeing them. But maybe that's okay. If they've passed away and you know they wouldn't have wanted this. Absolutely. There's like videos on YouTube of like Whitney Houston. I can't remember what singer it was, but singing a duet with like a real life singer and then the hologram being the duet part. Like it is messed up. No. Another really, really messed up situation and kind of one of the biggest impactors on music, like Amy, Mm -hmm. is Aaliyah. And actually when you said hologram it reminded me to talk about Aaliyah because there was a point where Chris Brown made a music video using her voice and a hologram of her and fans fucking hated it yeah so Aaliyah who has been credited for helping redefine basically R&B and being called the princess of R&B and the queen of urban pop she tragically died when she was just 22 in a plane crash and it's really interesting because I feel like she has as much impact as someone like Amy, except for she died so long ago. Mm-hmm. And and she's actually obviously recently been sort of, her name been back in the news because she was married to R. Kelly illegally at the age of 15. We know that R. Kelly has now been sort of outed for doing a whole lot of fucked up stuff and he's being punished for it right now, which thank goodness. But so with With Aaliyah, she signed with Jive Records and her uncle Barry Hankerson's Blackground Records. Hankerson, her uncle, was actually the one that introduced her to R. Kelly, who became her Mm. mentor and then her husband and then just the worst person on earth. And after it came out that he'd illegally married her, um, she signed with Atlantic Records. But there has been so much controversy. Like, I can't even get into it with Mm. Aaliyah because there's so so much about posthumous music like she has this whole discography Mm -hmm. that's all recorded all like done but none of it was on any streaming services or anything and her family really like wanted to do something with it but blackground records her uncle was like withholding it until like he wanted to release it, I'm assuming. Until he knew it would be at its peak value. Probably. So in 2012, Blackground Records, her, again, her uncle's company, announced that there was going to be a posthumous album that was going to be produced by Drake, who's absolutely fucking obsessed with her. Like, it's kind of weird. If mm. you just search up Drake obsessed with Aaliyah, there's there's actually a really good complex article about every single thing he's done. Like he's, That's so interesting. It's very interesting. Um, and producer um, Noah Forty Shibib, who works with Drake quite a bit. But in 2014, they released a song, and I think the song was meant to be like, the album's coming. And Drake's involvement in it, everyone was like, nah, this is so fucked. And then Aaliyah's mother actually said she did not want the music out. So they, both Drake and Shibib, the producer, like, removed themselves 
from Good. doing anything posthumous with Aaliyah. Um, Aaliyah was also, I mean, her her vocals have been used on so many people's tracks. Like that's a whole nother thing on its own. She was once on a T Pain track, mm. and. It went to like a listening party before it was released and all the fans were like, no, this is not all good. So he ended up taking her off the track. Like, wow. no one wants her. See, this is the power that we have as consumers, right? I know. Like, if things are not all good, we just fucking don't listen, mm-hmm. say something and actually shit can happen from it. Literally. And and the, it's like the fans are the ones with the pulse check on what's all good and what's totally. not. And I think that's why it's so important to have these conversations so that we're all kind of educated a little bit in what is fucked up and what's not so so in 2019 Aaliyah's family announced that they were talking to companies to actually like try and make her whole discography available for download and for streaming because there was there's so much music of hers and just nothing was really available. Mm-hmm. But in August, this August, like that's literally just happened, it was reported that Blackground were going to release on physical, digital, and streaming services her whole discography. Um, but then Aaliyah's family issued a statement saying, For 20 years we've battled behind the scenes, enduring shadowy tactics of deception. Now this unscrupulous endeavour to release Aaliyah's music without transparency or full accounting to the estate compels our hearts to express a word, forgiveness, but pledges to continue to defend ourselves and her legacy lawfully. Aaliyah's estate has always been ready to share Aaliyah's musical legacy, but has been met with contention and a gross lack of transparency. Basically, they're saying they wanted to do this. Mm Mm-hmm. Blackground wouldn't involve them in this. And, and now they're doing it anyway. And as to why that was. Yes. And Ooh, so it just screams bad, bad, bad. Yeah. And then and then when the albums were, because they have been reissued by Blackground, they released an animated commercial titled It's Been a Long Time, showing Aaliyah resurrecting her music out of a large underground vault. Like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. In what world? In what world? It just... Just oh, like, no. The more I read about the music industry, the more I'm just like, this is fucking crazy. I know, like, it sucks that we like music because the yes. whole production of everything sucks. Literally, music is such a pure thing and, like, it's just grabbed and commodified and fucked with. And is it, all the goodness exploited. It. It's, it's so just sad. exploited. It's yeah. just everyone that is not independent is fucking exploited. Oh, man. There's another example of this sort of thing where the family is kept away from the production of the posthumous music. So Lil Peep, um, for Mm. anyone who doesn't know him, he was a rapper and he died from an accidental drug overdose in 2017. So his mother, Liza Womack, was at first a bystander when it came to the posthumous music, Mm. so the label was not involving her in any of the conversations. He was only 21 when he passed away, so he hadn't signed a will. Um, And so his mum was sort of in the process of becoming the active administrator of Peep's estate. But the music label, like, while this was happening, was making loads of decisions without her Mm. input. And a lot of them contradicted what Peep had told his mother about what he wanted for his music. Um, An example of this is four days after the rapper XXXTentacion was killed... Um, there were discussions of the two late artists collaborating, which is a collaboration that in life Peep had sworn would never happen. So X was an abuser for anyone that yeah. needs to know why maybe yeah. Will Peep didn't want to work with him. But 
XXX had passed away at this point as well, right? Yes, so they were both... Both posthumous. And then they were creating like, a yeah. collaboration. Like, it's so that fucked neither up. neither of them would have wanted, probably, because they didn't like each other. So it did actually end up getting released, and fans were not happy. I think his mum got in there later in the mm-hmm. sense of they wanted heaps of collaborators on his like on every track of his posthumous music mm. and she was just like no you're literally cutting out everything that my son made yeah and then they did end up releasing a posthumous album they did and i think fans because they knew his mum were involved was sort of like yeah. okay with it because i think she got her say in the end mm-hmm. but fuck it sounds like lawyers 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 and just while we're talking about x he had two posthumous albums that his fans hated, like they did not like because they were they were only skeleton ideas. Right, yeah. Like he hadn't worked on these albums. It was just again sort of like cobbling shit together. Also, they and when I say they, his mum revived his Instagram to market a collaboration with him and this other artist mm. because she's now the manager of this other artist. And so she wanted to, like, she revived his Instagram to bring clout to this other artist so oh that God. she could sort of, I guess, still make a living. But it's like, that but all of that. This is another part of the discussion, right? Like, even though family are making decisions, like, that doesn't mean that they're necessarily making decisions on, like, the good of the late relative. Exactly. You know, people... You don't can know what they want. Kind of evil in these situations. They can. Like, it's just. It's as much as it is about the actual music. It's about the marketing and the music videos and the hologram concerts and shit you're putting on as well. Like they can make so much money. Yeah. Honestly, I just. Oh, I know we've been trying to find a few like positives. I have found it really hard to find and do you know what another sort of thing to bring into the conversation is that the more you know money and energy that is put into reviving these late musicians music the less space there is for new and upcoming musicians to sort Mm. of put their music into the realm like people are struggling like there's Mm. a lot of musicians in that sort of middle lane that are like really trying to make it happen but all of the labels are just focusing on how much money they can make from people that have passed away like it is something to consider Mm. Mm. I mean it definitely is I just honestly how much longer are these big labels gonna fucking be around like with everyone re-recording their masters and stuff so they all own it and like I don't know. I, I just, would just love to see the inner workings of these companies because... I'd love to see some of the contracts yeah. that go out. So interesting. Fuck that. One last thing is that it all feels a bit different from... Like, rap and hip-hop feels different to other posthumous music. Like, yeah. rap and hip-hop, don't you feel like we treat it differently and people treat it differently? For some I'm not saying it's good or bad, but... I think it's because you know there are a lot of really early deaths in the genre Mm. that also rappers are the most prolific of like you know they they record the most music yes they make so much music and and they have such an impact on other genres i think as well like even if you're not a rapper you get so much of your inspiration from like rap music whereas i don't think it goes the exact same the other way around that's interesting. Yeah, I just, I found as I've been reading, like, even though, I mean, we haven't even really talked about the 27 Club or, like, Nirvana or Kurt Cobain or anything, like, because 
I just found the most interesting and the most, the ones that were taken with the most like grace were rappers and rap albums. And they also have such cult followings mm. and they're quite political, mm. I feel. Like yeah. rap is quite politically charged. So mm. I guess it all sort of yeah. intertwines together to create this really interesting sort of. I know, I just found it, it was like. Narrative. I hadn't really like focused that much on rap or hip hop. And then when I was reading about all of this, I was just sort of like. But I don't know what I'm trying to say, but do you think that like rap, posthumous rap music is like so much more of a bigger deal than say like Michael Jackson's posthumous album? Yeah. And I also think because a lot of rappers come from really marginalized backgrounds. And so it's just a whole nother way of exploiting people that don't have a lot of power. Mm. And a lot of families that don't have a lot of power or don't maybe understand. Or aren't used to having a lot of money. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And don't understand how the machine can sort of you know, chew you up and spit you out. Mm, so so there's there's a bit of food for thought for you. Me and Liv, um, we're trying to do a mix of like topical stuff and then also just these evergreen issues in any industry and in culture. And it's it's really good for our brains yeah. to have to really look into this. And I love this yeah. shit. Like this is definitely the shit that I love to research. But yeah, let us know whether you guys enjoy these sort of chats mm. um, or whether you have any ideas for anything else you'd like us to sort of bring up. Yeah, we love talking about topics like what the fuck happened to Ed Sheeran and like interpolation versus sampling. If you haven't heard the Olivia, uh, the Olivia Rodrigo chat, that was very similar to this. But thank you for joining me on the mic for another week, Liv. Always love it, love it, love it. Hopefully, hopefully we're back in the studio soon. Yes, fingers crossed crossed anyway thank you all for listening bye everyone bye hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with Quince being 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.